Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Kinsey here. And uh, things have been pretty quiet on the culture cast front. I'm sorry for that. But I'm also not sorry because I've been busy helping Voice of San Diego launch a new podcast. It's called I Made It in San Diego, and it'll focus on the folks who've built interesting businesses in our city, the innovators, the movers, the shakers, the people who found success in the San Diego region. It's going to be rad. You can't subscribe to the show just yet, but I promise to let you know when you can. But here's a little trailer to get you as excited about the show as I am. When I wake up, I think about oysters. When I go to bed, I think about oysters. And in between, I think about oysters. I originally built it for a job interview and then later shipped it to the App Store. Probably a month after the App Store became a thing. It ended up being the number two free app on the whole App Store for, for quite some time. I then put some ads in it and uh, was shocked when it did amazingly well and gave me the money that I needed actually to put a down payment on my first house. There's a personal story behind every business. Some succeed, some fail, many do both. I Made It in San Diego will introduce listeners to the stories behind the city's small and well-known businesses and the people who made them what they are today. It'll delve into the triumphs, tough times, and lessons learned along the way, as well as stories unique to San Diego's technology and border economy. The first show I had, I sold everything. Opening night, Nissan Corporation, Scripps, Hospital bought a piece. I, I thought it was the easiest job in the world. I didn't sell another thing for five weeks and was about to go out of business and someone walked in and uh, bought something, and it's kind of been that way ever since. Be sure to sign up for our newsletters at voiceofsandiego.org so you can stay in the loop and be notified of future episodes. And I promise to circle back to CultureCast and produce new episodes for you as soon as I can. In the meantime, though, I wanted to drop in an episode from the Keep the Channel Open podcast. Keep the Channel Open is a show made right here in San Diego, and it features in-depth conversations with artists from a variety of disciplines and places. The show is hosted by San Diego-based photographer and writer Mike Sakasagawa. And after a brief personal intro for Mike, you'll hear a conversation with me about San Diego's art scene and more. I think you'll dig it. And if you do, be sure to subscribe to Keep the Channel Open at www.keepthechannelopen.com. Here's the show. Hello, and welcome to Keep the Channel Open, a podcast featuring conversations with artists, writers, and curators. My name is Mike Sakasagawa, and this is episode 41. Today's guest is Kinsey Moreland. So I had a bit of heavy news recently. Uh, an old teacher of mine is dying of cancer. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about how the only formal creative training I have is as a writer. Uh, well, this man, uh, he was my English teacher for three years in high school. He's the person who, more than any other person, who taught me how to be a writer. Uh, I've certainly grown and changed a lot as a writer since I was 17 and in his class. Uh, but, you know, you know, I learned things in college and afterwards that helped me improve my composition skills or, you know, develop my voice. But it was really this teacher who was the one who got me started. Um, I think more than anything else, what I got from him was the practice of writing regularly. Uh, you know, by the end of my senior year, when we were prepping for the AP exam, he 
had us writing two essays every day in a one-hour class period. And then the other thing was that he gave me a lot of confidence in being able to approach a piece that might seem daunting. Uh, he encouraged me a lot, and uh, he even got one of my class essays published in the local paper. I mean, it's a small thing, that paper. The whole town is only maybe 3,000 people. But, you know, to a teenager who's just finding his feet as a writer, that kind of thing, it means a lot. So, you know, obviously I was really sad to hear that this guy who meant so much to me as a young person is dying. Um, but one thing that I was glad about, actually, was that finding out now um, meant that I got the chance to write to him and to tell him all the stuff that I just told you. It's been almost 20 years since the last time I saw him, 18, 19, something like that. Uh, but at least, you know, I can know that I didn't miss my chance to thank him and, you know, to let him know what it's meant to my life, having been one of his students. And this kind of gets to something that I'm always saying, you know, that when somebody does something that matters to you, you just take the time and tell them. Usually I'm talking about art or literature and Obviously, I think that's important. You know, if there's a work of art that means something to you, find a way to let the artist know, even if it's just a tweet. But it applies to everything else, too. You know, um, I mean, how wonderful would it be to get to know all the lives that you've influenced, you know, to get to have that George Bailey sort of experience where you really get to see how people's lives have been better for having had you in it. And you can do that for other people, but just don't miss out on that opportunity because you really never know when the time will run out. So today's guest is Kinsey Moreland. Kinsey is the engagement editor at Voice of San Diego, which is a digital nonprofit news organization here in San Diego. It's well known for its investigative journalism in the region. Uh, Kinsey does reporting on a lot of topics. Most relevant to this show, she's the author of The Culture Report, which is Voice of San Diego's weekly arts and culture roundup. Recently, she's done pieces on public arts funding in the county, different art spaces that have opened and closed around the city, cross-border cuisine, all kinds of other local arts topics. She's also the host of Voice of San Diego's San Diego Culture Cast podcast, which is currently on hiatus, but last year had this really amazing series on the history of one of our most interesting and vibrant neighborhoods, Barrio Logan, and I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, I was really interested in talking with Kinsey because you know, as one of the main arts and culture writers in the region, she has a particularly good view of the breadth of what goes on around here in the arts communities. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that San Diego's art scene is something that I love to explore, both where it is now and where it might be headed. We had a great talk, so let's jump in. If you'd like to tweet your comments as you listen, use the hashtag ChannelOpenPod on Twitter and join in the conversation there. And now here's my conversation with Kinsey Moreland. So how are you today? I'm good. You're good. Uh, yeah, busy, and we're going through a lot of transitions at my day job. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah, um, I actually was just reading your uh, your latest culture report this morning, just actually like half an hour ago. Um, and I'm it's you know something that uh, is pretty amazing to me about journalists that like you have this pretty amazing ability to just keep so many things in your head. It seems like your the awareness that you have of everything that's going on around this city is, um, I mean, I don't know how I would be able to keep up. Well, it's not in my head. That's for sure. I can only <laughs> keep a very limited amount of knowledge in my head at any one time. So, um, it honestly is a result of a covering the San Diego arts and culture scene since 2005 mm -hmm. And B, uh, everything is so digital now, it's um, filing and storing things in a way so that mm -hmm. um, very literally on Monday nights, I stay up super late at night mm -hmm. and that's when I organize everything. So as I get emails, I file them, right? So I have weekly folders. I mean, this is not a very sexy or interesting part of the job. I, I feel like I'm <laughs> lifting the curtain to something that, you know, oh, culture report, it's cool. And the back end of it is not, not that interesting. But I literally do just file emails. So I, you know, have been signed up to every arts group's email list just because I've been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. um, so I keep track of that news that way. 
Uh, and then I keep track of Facebook news by like saving links every week. So there's mm-hmm. a save link feature. If I see something interesting, I say, oh, save, oh, save, oh, save. <laughs> and then go back in and I check that every week on a Monday night. And then in terms of like rounding up the coverage, I um, go to, I have a whole list of bookmark sites that I read every single Monday night and I go through and get all the coverage that I know I want to include. And then for the stories that I write, uh, I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> and so I have, you know, I as information comes in, I pull it out, put it in the spreadsheet. And then every week I'm like, okay, what is the, you know, most interesting news to me that floats to the top that all kind of feature? So mm-hmm. there's the uh, not so cool. <laughs> you just have to be organized, I guess. It's, it's actually super useful because uh, I'm always finding I'm like drowning in stuff. I always want to try and you know, for the show or for whatever, trying to keep on top of what's going on is uh, is a big task. So, I don't know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's part of my personality. I've always been uh, – I've played sports in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been a really competitive person. <laughs> and it translates in this job where I got my start actually at City Beat um, in arts department, in, in the arts world, uh, doing the event calendar. Okay. And so that was – this was like – 2005, way back, you know, before the internet was a thing and people did use it. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that point, we were still getting like faxes and, you know, Facebook wasn't really a thing yet. And people were sort of using MySpace, maybe. Um, So a lot of the event information and arts and culture stuff, I like had to go out into the real world, uh, make introductions. So make sure that I was getting emails from people, but also like hit up coffee shops Mm. and pick up flyers. Yeah. And the competitiveness came in and where I'd be like, I'd pick up the reader, right? Or I'd look mm-hmm. at the UT and be like, okay, who's got the coolest, most comprehensive events calendar in town? And I maybe never got to the most comprehensive because, you know, the reader used to be 500 pages or something and their events would go on and on. Um, but I feel like even from the very start of my job as just the events calendar, I took it really seriously and I wanted to have the most interesting uh, events calendar that included all the underground stuff that the bigger papers were missing every mm-hmm. week. It's, I mean, it seems like, you know, one of the things that I always find so impressive about, um, you know, reading the coverage that you do is, um, that you, I mean, like you just said all your organizational stuff, but the, the, the stuff that you're bringing up, um, I think a lot of people in San Diego don't, um, have quite, uh, that much awareness of just how vibrant the art scene here is and how much stuff is going on. Um, and I mean, I think that's, it's such an important thing to be able to participate in that. And, um, I mean, I don't know, I find it really useful to be able to, um, you know, I mean, even just trying to figure out what I'm going to do, uh, on a Saturday night, like finding what openings and that kind of thing, um, it's pretty amazing um, and very comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, another little secret or trick of the trade is enabling your Facebook calendar on your iPhone calendar if you're mm. an iPhone person. Yeah. Um, so every time I open up my calendar, I see, you know, not only I'm a... I'm just a nerd when it comes to calendars. I schedule everything. (laughs) Like you'll see on my calendar lunch and you'll see uh, take kids to preschool. Like I have every single moment of my day scheduled Mm -hmm. because otherwise I would just drown and I would just have too much. I would just feel like I couldn't do all the things that I do. And so this is the way I deal with, you know, which is this is a problem everyone has these days. You know, the amount of work we're given is much bigger because of digital ease or whatever. So anyway, I, I enable Facebook. And so every time I open up my calendar, I see my work tasks. But then, you know, starting at like 6 p.m., I get about a million alerts for like Friday night. This is this opening, this opening, this opening. And so, you know, most people are putting their events on Facebook right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Eventbrite is another one. I don't, I'm, I'm sure you could enable Eventbrite to go to your phone too. But anytime I hear someone complaining about there being a, you know, dearth of opportunities or arts and culture happenings, I will open up my phone and be like, no, look, there's actually, you know, what is it? Thursday night, there's five openings tonight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of visual art, performing arts, you know, there's always, San Diego is a theater town. There's always something to see in the theater realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that's something that it's funny. um, Before I lived here, I've lived in this town um, about 12 years now. So not long for, I don't know, 
seems like some people are always moving here. I, everybody that I meet here has either lived here like one year or like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but before I started living here, I, the, the theater scene was a lot of what we came down here for, to go to stuff like at the Old Globe or um, um, the uh, uh, Old Town Theater in Old Town or uh, the La Jolla Playhouse. There's always a lot of stuff happening. Um, and again, it's just something that it seems like people don't, really realize is here um so i guess uh i guess one of the things one of the reasons why i was really interested to talk with you is you know because of the because of what you do here at boys at san diego um you you have more than more than most people a really good view of exactly what is happening in the art scene around here. And, um, and it's something that I, I've always found like a really interesting topic. Um, when I'm talking with other artists or, um, you know, curators or, or, or these people is, is trying to get a feel for exactly what's happening here. And I feel like, and this is something I've mentioned with other people a bunch of times on the show that, um, a really common, um, sort of sentiment about San Diego is that it's sort of perpetually like right on the edge of breaking, but not quite there yet. And I was sort of wondering what, what you thought about that. On the edge of breaking, like in, on the cusp of cool, like almost really culturally viable, but not, is that what you mean? Kind of. I mean, I guess what it is, is that like, um, one of the things that, that I, you know, people can never help comparing, uh, <laughs> San Diego to like, LA or San Francisco or Chicago or New York, um, where they have these really established art scenes and, and more to the point, they have a very established collector base there. Um, and everyone sort of, there's a very common sort of thing about, you know, everybody here wringing their hands about what is it about San Diego that we, we don't, we're not that yet, but also, um, you know, in the time that I've lived here, the number of things that I've become aware of that seem like they're fairly new, um, whether it's something like the medium festival, uh, or, um, some of the stuff that I've been seeing, um, in Barrio Logan, or, you know, a lot of these things seem like they're fairly recent. And so it's, it always feels like to me that things are moving towards something, but aren't quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, just speaking from my perspective of, of covering the art scene for now over 10 years, uh, there's ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. And I don't know enough about other cities to know if that happens there too. I'm assuming it does. Mm -hmm. um, I did a whole post actually not too long ago for Voice of San Diego. Essentially, it was like, why does San Diego's art scene continually hate itself? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we had this whole panel discussion and it's the same questions and criticisms that come up every time in this conversation and debate happens all the time. And it's just kind of on replay, repeat and replay. And I've been having these talks since 2005. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming again that that's probably something people do elsewhere. And we just need to know that, you know, the art scene will ebb and it will flow. It will be good and it will be bad. There will be you know, growth and then contraction, just like any other industry, I think. Although, if you look at craft beer, that just keeps booming. <laughs> so maybe we should get the arts community together with the craft beer community and figure out what their secret... I mean, I guess, you know, having a product that makes people <laughs> drunk is probably the key here. Um, and tastes good, depending on your um, <laughs> persuasion, I guess. But... Um, yeah, I think that there are, there are some definite things that we could probably point to. Mm -hmm. Proximity has always been a problem. We're close to LA, which often siphons off our best artists. You know, John Baltasari was here and working at South, you know, in Southeastern at the college there and, uh, ended up going away. There's a few other, a lot of other examples along the way of great artists who get to a certain point and then they're like, okay, time to move to LA now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're also close to Tijuana, which I think, honestly, is probably the art world's biggest strength. Hmm. Um, I think we have the genre border art that we could own. Mm -hmm. um, we have Chicano art that I certainly, you know, we have Chicano artists who are known internationally. Right. And so that probably gets overlooked a little too much mm -hmm. by, 
dominating white people who, you know, don't maybe even think of the Chicano art scene when they think of, of art in San Diego. So maybe, you know, everybody coming to the conclusion that, hey, hey, yeah, you know what? Border art and Chicano art, that is our strength. Like, let's go with it. Let's, you know, gather around this and boost it even more. Um, in terms of other problems, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but look at New York City. Look yeah. at all the, you know, other art cities, San Francisco, they're more expensive. So yeah. can we use that ex- as an excuse? Probably not. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've debated a lot of these things and thought about a, a lot of these things as you have and as I'm sure a lot of your guests have and you've talked about it a lot. Um, again, I just think one of our biggest uh, challenges is the beach hmm. and the weather. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little? That's an interesting idea. Um, you know, I'll admit it. I came here for the weather. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time before... I became invested in the community and interested in what was happening here. A lot of the first few years were spent hanging out at the beach and having a good time. And, uh, you know, I remember living in Pacific Beach for a while and everyone was a transplant and everyone was there kind of like there was a lot of people who had just graduated from, you know, they got their undergrad degree and they were, quote, you know, taking time off in Mm -hmm. San Diego and I think we get a lot of those people, you know, before they went and lived their real life where they went and like they went to graduate school in, in Los Angeles or they went back to New York where they came from to, you know, get a real job and get serious about life. And there's this mindset that, oh, you yeah, you go to San Diego and you just have a good time because mm. there's perfect weather. There's these beaches. It's beautiful. You can just do outdoor things all the time. So we're competing for people's time, right? Mm-hmm. Arts and culture is competing for that time. And when it's a beautiful day and... You know, you've got, what, 74 degree weather? Like, to, well, I guess today's a little gray. Um, you've got people going out and doing outdoor things. And yes, arts and culture can happen at night. But like, so there is there is room for both. But mm-hmm. it's an attitude shift, too. You've got to get those people who are here just enjoying life and get them to stay in San Diego and to invest in their community and become part of the arts and culture scene. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's not really something I'd ever thought about before. Um, I, I grew up in Northern California, outside of Monterey. And then right after college, I went to college in, in, in L.A. County and, and, and lived in Orange County for about four or five years after school. Um, and one of the things that I've always thought was really interesting uh, is the way that different parts of California are different from each other and how we all sort of view each other. Um, coming from where I'm from, people up there don't tend to draw a lot of distinction between L.A. and San Diego, which to hmm. people down here... It, would probably find that surprising. <laughs> We're so different. <laughs> yeah. But it's something – it's it's interesting. Like, thinking about what you just said, how, um, you know, San Diego doesn't – I mean, it has such a reputation as such a laid-back city. And I think um, even, even up in L.A., people don't really take this city and what happens here very seriously, like as though um, – you know, that, that attitude just sort of conveys to everything. It's interesting. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. San Diego is, you know, a suburb of LA. You hear that all the time, right? It's mm-hmm. this place where you go to yeah, have kids maybe <laughs> and be quiet and not, not do anything really big and important. That's definitely um, a stereotype that's been smashed onto us as yeah. a city. Yeah, so. it's not one that people here would agree with. <laughs> well, um, some would. Some might. Some, some Maybe. Yeah. But it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of like like, you know, we both said already that um, there are a lot of transplants here. A lot of people who have been here sort of a short amount of time. Um, And I know that has its own sort of uh, clashes between different communities around here. But I think it's interesting because um, when my experience with the uh, with the arts community around here has sort of. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily tension between the sort of newcomers and the people who are from here, the native San Diegan um, artists that I've met. But uh, but there is um, – I, 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 I kind of think that there's a difference, at least in feel, or um, like there, those, those two like communities don't necessarily always merge or gel completely i don't know if i'm just talking out of my ass right now but no i think you know at the most recent discussion about what's holding san diego's art scene back we had uh, at least 
a couple people stand up saying, hey, I just moved here and I'm finding it incredibly hard to feel like I'm part of the arts community here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bifurcating. You know, it's like silos a lot. There's like, oh, well, there's this arts community and then there's this arts community. Um, you could do that by genres, right? There's the dance community and then there's the theater world and then the visual artist. But within the visual artist, there's the uh, conceptual artists and then there's the commercial artists. Um, there are a few associations, the San Diego Visual Arts Network, um, there's a performing arts group, um, you know, so there are more top down ways that you could get involved in the arts. But I do think people who are new here are having this challenge mm-hmm. and there's no, you know, that's also one of the issues that always comes up is that it, there's just no cohesion and there's not a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe when, and if that happens, it'll be easier for outsiders coming in to integrate and feel a bigger part, a better part of the um, art scene here. But Yeah. Although the other, the flip side of that too, is that um, I think sometimes people who are already here or have, you know, grew up, whether they grew up here or have just been here a long time can sometimes feel like they're getting sort of pushed out of the way by people who just showed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good old localism. I mean, I think we had an example of that at um, the San Diego Art Institute when, um, oh, yeah. they hired a new director there and the artists who had historically shown there are kind of San Diego's long, longer term artists who've been here for a while or mm-hmm. decades, even some of them. And then when she showed up, um, Ginger Shulik Porcella, yeah, I don't probably show. slaughtering the, <laughs> I always realize that I write things and then I don't ever actually say them out yeah. loud. So <laughs> sorry about that pronunciation problem. Um, Anyway, so she brought in people, and she and she didn't necessarily bring in too many outsiders. Some felt like she did, but she was bringing in artists from Tijuana, uh, newer people in San Diego, and mm-hmm. then artists from New York and from L.A., um, and there was a lot of pushback on that. So, yeah, there's definitely yeah that feeling and that vibe going on. Yeah, and she's not from here originally either. That was probably that was, played yeah. into it as well. Definitely. I, I, I got to talk to her for the show, and she's such an interesting person. And I've I it's funny because I really felt like when SDAI um, sort of changed their focus and when they brought her in, um, I thought that was really exciting. But but because this kinds of shows that they're doing now there are, I mean, frankly the the, the shows there are just a lot more interesting to me. But then again, like I'm not from here either, so maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I think what Ginger did and what there needs to be more of in San Diego is, you know, art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. So there aren't a lot of opportunities for visual artists just in general, right? Mm-hmm. But there are a certain number of, um, you know, what people might call pay-to-play opportunities where you can pay to um, enter your work into like a juried show Um, There's lots of group shows that happen at galleries and then, you know, the gallery takes a commission, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty standard. Um, So there's a lot, there's more opportunities for artists who actually want to and are trying to sell their work. Mm -hmm. And there's less opportunities for, you know, and and I think it's growing right now, like social artists who are doing work really that um, engages the community and asks them to question some important concepts you know conceptual artists have always had a hard time selling their work um installation artists obviously that's you it's more challenging to sell that kind of work and that's you know kind of not the point Mm -hmm. of that sort of art and so what ginger did at sdai the san diego art institute in balboa park was you know open up residency programs and give artists space to create and experiment and make work that didn't have selling as its ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Um, She got her hands on a space at Horton Plaza, which has allowed artists to really play and experiment in that space. Um, Other than that, you know, you have Ice Gallery at Bread and Salt. And Bread and Salt in general, which is a great arts venue if you've never been, it's in Logan Heights, Barrio Logan area. And Ice Gallery is run by an artist who does installation site conditional work. And so he allows other artists to come in. He gives them the space and they can pretty much do whatever they want to do with it. Um, 
they have an arts residency program there as well that allows artists to, to come in and just gives them space and say, here, here's space, just create, just make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the San Diego Foundation, which is a grant-making community group here, they do a creative catalyst program that gives artists, for a while it was a lot of visual artists, and then it sort of evolved, and now it's giving money to a lot of uh, theater people, which is fine. But uh, that was one of the only funding sources for a long time, still is, like significant funding that allows San Diego artists to just create for the sake of creating. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're lucky, you know, Andrea Chung coming up, she has a show at the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough, if you're one of those few local artists that gets a show at a museum like that, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a good opportunity to just play and create and you know, have space and room and time. But um, there's not a lot of that in San Diego. And I guess this goes back to the problem with our art scene here. You know, if we had more opportunities like that where artists can just um, just do their thing and just be given time and space, I think those are the opportunities that we need more of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like um, sort of speaking to some of the the more sort of social art kind of stuff that you were just mentioning um you've done a bunch of reporting on on different um, public arts and public arts funding stories uh recently um and that seems to be another area where things are always kind of in upheaval around here (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about upheaval but um, there's definitely it's it's always part of the conversation and there's always at least a few people who are very um passionately speaking about it yeah i think you know san diego we don't have um, what is it? The cloud piece in in Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. the huge, huge reflective blob sitting in that plaza where everybody has to, you know, when you go to Chicago, you go to the the piece and you get your picture taken in front of it. You take your selfie with a weird, distorted reflection. Um, God, I mean, we have the <laughs> the giant <laughs> statue of the sailor. Yeah, the Eisenstadt. Yeah, thing, yeah, it's just, you know, I think most art critics agree that it's derivative and um, kitschy and God damn it, my husband loves it and it drives <laughs> me crazy. <laughs> and even my sister, when she's in town, she wants to take a picture of it. I'm like, no, please, God damn it. <laughs> this is going to be our cloud. This, why can't I think of the title of that piece? I apologize. I'm terrible with specifics. Um, uh, the Boston one? The one in Chicago, the the cloud uh, oh, yeah, piece, um, but whatever public art piece what yeah. i'm saying my cloud point gate, i think is that cloud right? gate maybe yeah yeah so my point is you know we don't have one big iconic piece aside from the sailor piece yeah, yeah. which is a port of san diego not city so yeah um but we do have you know like there's uh recently in the past few years there's been so much more public art at the airport for example mm-hmm. um and there's a pretty vibrant street art scene um it well yeah. ish yeah I don't yeah know. sure um yeah, I mean, we're so, yeah, we, what I think we're missing still, though, is that one iconic piece, mm-hmm. um, which hopefully maybe they're working on. They have uh, more funding streams going into public art now that allow them to do uh, something outside of this standard program, which is um, art that is attached to new city projects. So that makes, there's a problem with that process i mean it's great that we do it it's a great program it's called two percent for art and every time the city builds something like a library or a park or a water facility uh two percent of those funds have to go to pay for public art Mm. that's fine that's a good program to have i like it uh except when it comes to water facilities which are (laughs) not accessible which i've written about so go to voice of san diego if you want to read more about that um but now they have a funding stream that will allow them to put uh you know hopefully this one iconic or two or multiple iconic pieces uh, in different places that are hopefully more publicly accessible. Mm. We have a lot of public art in clusters. So if you go to the Central Library, that's where a significant amount of our city's public art. And when I say city's public art, it's yours. Like if you live in San Diego, we own this art. This is our art. This is, you know, (laughs) people forget that the government means us. You know, that's your art. So... Um, I would love it if more people got actively involved in the public art process. Um, they sort of have this habit here and maybe at other places too of keeping the process a little bit quiet. <laughs> and I think that's because, especially in times like these where we're heading into a budget that is going to be slashed mm-hmm. um, and there's already huge proposed arts funding slashes proposed. So we'll see how that goes. But anytime you bring up public art and <laughs> 
the wider public starts here. Oh, wait, how much money are we spending? Wait, we're spending money on art and like my street has is riddled with potholes or why are we spending money on art when there's, uh, you know, thousands of homeless people in tents lining our streets downtown? Yeah. So it's sort of this like weird thing, you know, people who like art and get art appreciate it and don't don't question its significance and its value but when you get the general public Mm -hmm. or like the public that shows up to meetings has time to go to these meetings and voice their opinion it tends to skew older and more conservative maybe Mm -hmm. Um, especially in a place like san diego which has its roots in you know military um you open up kind of a can of worms so I definitely have figured that out as I've been reporting on public <laughs> art. Is like the more you stir that pot or even just talk about public art, you bring out these people who want to immediately question why we're putting any money at all towards art. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of the the national conversation in, oh, in yeah. general. Totally. Um, I mean, going back decades. So, yeah. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully. It seems to me like some of that conversation might be changing more now. I don't know, maybe some somewhat internet driven because so many creative people have such a bit, you know, more direct platform. But even that, there's a lot of pushback still, so it's hard to say. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard sell, and I get it. You know, I'm a I'm a mom of two young kids, and um, you know, when we're talking about money, I'm like, well, more let's throw more money at education, right? Yeah. And so yeah, even and for me, stuff right now is right. total mess. So even for me, who I love and appreciate art, and I'm so glad culture and art are things that the city and county fund, mm-hmm. thank God. Um, but even I am, you know, like, oh, well, but what about this or what about this? And, yeah. Um, so it's hard. It's it's a struggle, and it'll keep keep being more of a struggle as you know we have a. A candidate or a president. Sorry, God, <laughs> I haven't accepted it. Yet. No, <laughs> yeah. just we have a president who, you know, outwardly wants to slash the national endowment arts and yeah. national humanities. So it's a frightening time, and I think now is it's more important than ever for people who make arts and culture or people who just enjoy and consume arts and culture to use those platforms like social media to consistently and constantly um, not only post to your followers, but like get engaged. And what I like about Voice of San Diego and what I like about covering local as opposed to national things is that some of the stories I report you like, or anybody reports at Voice of San Diego can read them and then you can do something about them Mm -hmm. and you can affect change. Yeah. And that's seriously something that, more people after the election, I got a lot of texts from friends saying, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. Yeah. You know, how do I get involved? What do I do? What do I do? And, um, you know, the answer is simple. Just, like, figure out who your representatives are at the uh, city, re- uh, city, county, regional, state levels. Mm-hmm. And get them on your in your email contacts. And just when you see something that pisses you off let them know yeah Yeah. it works and there's been a lot more of that recently like people are a lot more motivated a lot of people prior to november didn't even know who their like state assembly member was or who their city council member even was and i think that's that's definitely changing now (laughs) it is i mean even i i have to i have a yet another email folder where i'm like here's all my contacts i have to you know, I don't immediately remember every single person that represents my area of Lemon Grove, mm-hmm. but um, I keep a document and an email. And every time I find new contacts, I add them to that list. I'm like, okay, these are, you know, I don't, I don't do a ton of it. Journalism is weird in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't really be. Yeah. Well, there's all those <laughs> ethical standards. Yeah. That I keep yeah. Up. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, in, in Voice of San Diego has, has um, you know, I'm. Uh, a subscriber, a member of Voice of San Diego. It's something that I um, only started doing over the past few months because of that, you know, feeling more motivated to figure out what's going on around my city. Um, And it's the, like all of the coverage is uh, something that um, I find really useful because there's a lot of really in-depth stuff or, you know, stories that get continued reporting, you know, week after week um, that I find really useful. One of the things more on the art side that I thought was really great was um, that Voice of San Diego has all of these different podcasts. And your 
um, CultureCast podcast. This was last year, I think, um, where you did uh, an extended series on Barrio Logan and the art scene there and all the ways that it's changing. You talked a lot about um, Chicano Park and its history and its future. Um, I mean, I think that like even for native San Diegans, one thing about this um, city that I've I've definitely found, which was something that I kind of liked about it when we first moved here, is how every neighborhood is sort of separate and different from each other. And so I liked that when we moved here because it was like you could have diff- the experience of different cities just by driving 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it also kind of comes at the price of there's um, – and this was something I've talked about with other San Diegans as well on the show that there's – it's very segregated. Like a lot of times you don't really know what's going on. Like you might read the UT headlines about City Hall, but you don't really know – the history of some other neighborhood or the current developments of some other neighborhood. And so something like that culture cast series is really, there's a lot of value to that. I think that, and, and um, you know, even somebody like me, who's trying to be more aware of, of these things and more connected to the arts community, there's a ton of stuff in there that I didn't know. Um, And and plus Barrio Logan in particular being such a nexus point for, uh, what's happening in the art scene in San Diego. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, it really blew me away. So thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. It's good to hear. It's actually, I feel really guilty right now because I've paused it for a while and it's, um, I set out this year trying to, you know, I realized that doing one in-depth, uh, series on one thing like Barrio Logan, I mean, that was, it was really hard Yeah, <laughs> and it took a lot and I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad it exists, and it's a thing in the world. Um, People can go download it right now. Yeah, CultureCast. <laughs> it's on iTunes and Voices San Diego website and also Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. But I'm right now trying to figure out um, what I want to do with it and mm-hmm. try to make it something that I can, <laughs> doesn't take up like two weeks of my time for, for one episode. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, and I'm also wor- working on some other podcast projects, so I've paused it. It will be back, I promise. There's actually <laughs> some people coming into the studio this afternoon to get the next episode out. But um, that's interesting. City of Villages, yeah, I would love to, hearing you talk about it, I would love to maybe, that might be a good strategy, is like go into one neighborhood and be like, let's look at the art of you know, Hillcrest. Let's like look at these little, I mean, that might be something that's interesting and something I could tackle in the future because once you learn about each different neighborhood's vibe or what's happening there, you know, maybe that could help this cohesion problem that we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I mean, I, for me at least like, uh, you know, learning about these different scenes, whether it's stuff that's, uh, um, happening in Barrio Logan, um, whether, um, you know, the stuff about the history of, of arts and community there versus the sort of new development stuff. You tackled gentrification, which is obviously a huge issue in our city. Um, you, uh, you know, there's, there's just so much going on and that's just one little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are stories like that everywhere. I mean, I've even, even, you know, closer to where we're sitting right now, like the stuff that's happening in the East village um, there's so much going on over mm-hmm. there. Um, and, uh, you know, stuff that I was not, cause I live up in Mira Mesa and I work in Cerno Valley. So like the people that I work with largely never think about what's happening in the downtown area, you hmm. know? And so like, if you talk about, I'm, I remember, um, early last year, one of my early guests was a guy named, um, TML Dunn who has uh, a studio at space for art. And I didn't have any idea that anything like that was in San Diego before mm-hmm. I met him. I just happened to meet him at an opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but I think there is a real thing like that where where we just people get very in their own little bubble mm-hmm. and have no idea what's happening in like very close to where they live and work. Right. Um, yeah. Know. Well, and the, adding to that bubble effect are the universities. So you have San Diego State, mm-hmm. you have UC San Diego, and you have USD, mm-hmm. the University of San Diego, and then you have your city colleges. And at each one of these schools in Southwestern, mm-hmm. at each one of these schools, you have this amazing, vibrant art scene happening, and each are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to curate shows and i lived in tijuana and we would our goal was to do you know mix of san diego and tijuana artists and do 
um, shows on both sides of the border, which we did. And it was it was called the Dapta Project. You can Google it. And it was a great, great couple of years. And I learned a lot. Um, but we purposely tried to penetrate those bubbles and like find artists who were like, you know, seniors or, you know, working at these schools. And we would go to UC San Diego and, you know, meet these amazing conceptual artists, like just doing really interesting work. And then you'd go to San Diego State and there's like these furniture designers who are doing work that I would put in a gallery any day. You know, it's like, it's functional, but it's art. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just every school has its own thing going on. And, um, you know, when I was in, I went to San Diego state and honestly the four years I was there, I didn't engage with the broader community much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think San Diego state has a downtown gallery and they're doing a better job of getting out in the community and mm-hmm. being part of the art scene. Um, UC San Diego is opening an outpost in East Village. I did not know that. Yeah, which I think could be huge. And um, I don't know the other schools. I don't know right off the top of my head (laughs) programs that they're doing to act more actively engage the community. I'm sure it's on their radar and they're probably doing things I don't know about or I'm not remembering right now. But um, I think once the schools start doing that, you know, the rest of San Diego might follow suit. Like, again, there's just this those schools is it's so much that we don't know and because we live where do you live mira mesa yeah yeah you're not going to go to la jolla maybe to go to a show there or just the campus is intimidating right and you're like "Eh, where do i park and (laughs) (laughs) i do that too don't worry yeah so so yeah maybe they could be the leaders in that area and break us out of our little bubble mindset here Uh, be pretty cool (laughs) um i should we should probably um switch gears and, and I mean, I could keep talking about this stuff, but um, we should probably <laughs> switch gears and do the second segment. So we'll take just a quick little break and do that. Um, so for the second segment, I always um, ask my guests to bring a topic of their own. It could be anything that you want to talk about. So what would you like to talk about today? Um, I think I would like to talk about children and art. Okay. <laughs> and that's because... I have two kids. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And, um, you know, I'm a writer, so I guess you could call that a creative endeavor if Mm -hmm. you want to. Um, And it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to juggle both. I mean, for whatever field you're in, um, it's hard to have kids and continue to have a full-time job. Yeah. Harder for women than men. I'm just going to put that out there. Absolutely. Um, Until we figure out, like, the breastfeeding thing. You know, I remember the breastfeeding thing was huge. That Mm -hmm. was hugely disruptive. I mean, it was great. I enjoyed it as much as one can, (laughs) and I'm glad I did it. But, you know, even doing that was like, oh, my God, how do I – I'm, like, doing an interview and my breasts are leaking, so now what? Mm -hmm. And um, I had to pump – three or four times a day when my kid, my both kids were younger and that's hard. Yeah. Um, and then now I'm at a stage where I have a little bit more freedom. Um, I used to go to a lot more shows than I do now. It's not a welcoming environment. The second you have kids, you're sort of immediately put on the outskirts of the art scene Mm -hmm. here and probably everywhere. Um, it's challenging to take young kids to an art gallery setting to, Theatrical performances is um, that's just out of the question right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not going to sit there for that long. Yeah, um, I can barely take my kids to the movies. So, how old are your kids? Uh, eight, five, and two. Oh wow, three! Yeah. <laughs> you went, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to stay uh, an active and engaged part of the art scene when you have small children. I still haven't figured it out. You know, it's a constant battle for me of like guilt like oh do i go to the show tonight or do i not because you know then that's another night of not putting my kids to sleep yeah. and i've just got all this angst and anxiety about taking them to art shows you know seth combs combs in the uh san diego city city he's a good friend of mine he's the editor there now and he wrote a op-ed opinion piece about <laughs> just like kind of chastising bad parents, quote unquote, these bad parents who were taking their kids and letting them do crazy things at art shows. Mm. And, you know, he was careful to say, you know, I'm not talking about you good parents out there. Um, But what I told him is that, you know, writing a piece like that, it just makes people like me who are, you know, you just never know if your kids are going to behave or not. Yeah. And I could be that bad parent that one time when I look away for two seconds. And the next thing I know, my two year old is, 
you know, stomping on a glass installation. Like, that. it just happens. Yeah. Um, and so to, you know, remind us, we already know. Like, we already know we're not really welcome there. We already know <laughs> there's a potential for them to misbehave. Like, we don't need someone who doesn't have kids or anyone, even if you do have kids. I don't want to hear you saying that because it's already, you know, whatever, free speech. You can say whatever you want. But sure. But- what I think it does is it just serves to get people like me to – you know, take my kids to shows less. And what we want to be doing and what I'm sure you're trying to do is expose your kids to as much arts and culture as possible. Yeah. Um, last night I took my kids to the zoo and then um, the zoo closed and I walked them over to Balboa Park and there was a band and I was like, we're going to sit and listen to these guys. Because like how often do kids get to listen to live music? There's not a lot of opportunity for that. Um, again, because A, we're not, kids are not invited to the Casbah, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are no real concerts that cater to parents and to small children. Um, so I try to expose them to arts and culture. Honestly, I expose them more to buskers, to like street performers. Mm-hmm. I've written a lot about street performers simply because that's like the arts and culture that I can engage with the most right now. Yeah, Because it's the people who are out in the public sphere, public streets at Seaport Village or Balboa Park or wherever that are doing you know free performances that are family friendly. That's like the best way for me to to expose my kids to arts and culture right now, which is sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that, though, I mean, you do get to see some pretty amazing stuff uh, from street performers. Like, I remember a year or two ago, we just happened to be in Balboa Park. We were, like, having a picnic or something, and then um, the, you know, Tribal Baroque? Yeah. They just, like, they just set up, like, right next to where we were doing, and they gave a performance right there, and it was amazing. Um, And... um, my kids thought it was really weird, which I guess it is. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, you but, do get some good stuff in that um, world, but it would be great to have, you know, each program, each show that uh, an arts organization does yeah, could think about doing like a, hey, let's do an early, how about four to six, and that'll be the family-friendly yeah. time. And there are some like art produce in North Park um, great example of a kid-friendly venue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a garden in the back where your kids can run around. They actually have a workshop area, and they host workshops that kids are invited to often. Um, I really wish there were more opportunities like that for us. And then I've talked to a ton of female artists um, who have kids, and then their careers suffer because of yeah, it. that is such a huge thing. And, you know, it's because, like, artist residencies – um and things like that often it's like oh no no you cannot bring your family yeah this is an artist residency well, i mean at root it's basically just misogyny I mean, yeah yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to say about yeah. that we probably shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't dive into that thing no. but um it is a thing and it exists and yeah. it's um i don't know it's just really hard and i wish more people were more sensitive to it yeah definitely and it's it is always disheartening um whether it comes from another parent or not, like kind of getting the finger wag. I mean, that's something that uh, I think a lot of people deal with, but definitely women seem to get the brunt of it um, a lot more. Um, women have so much more pressure to uh, to be that sort of perfect parent than, you know, like, I don't know. I Like if I take my kids to the grocery store, not even all three of them, like I would take two of them to the grocery store, I'll get like five people stop me and say, you're so brave. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah but, yeah that's but, annoying <laughs> yeah and you know and I mean, it seems like people who are parents ought to know like like you just never know like it might just be that this is like this kid is perfectly well behaved and this most of the time and you just get that one time and but that's what people will remember it's rough <laughs> uh, yeah i wish this could be like us offering solutions and we come up with like the way to move forward and be more family friendly in the arts and culture scene in San Diego. But um, I don't see this issue solving itself anytime soon. Not really. It's got to be active. You know, people who are running arts organizations have to care. This has to be an issue that they care about and Mm -hmm. that they're ready to take on. Right now, I think arts groups, you know, there's been a huge trend and it's something they've thought about a lot historically, but right now it's a bigger issue than ever before, which is engaging with um, people of color and people outside of the realm of, you know, rich, wealthy white people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So maybe once they figure that part out, you can then think about, okay, now how do we engage families yeah. more? I think some arts groups do an okay job, but yeah. um, not a I've lot. I've found that um, the museums, like the big established museums here, actually seem to me to do a pretty good job of reaching mm-hmm. out and including families like the San Diego Museum of Art. They have like a lot of different programs for kids. Uh, MOPA mm-hmm. is fairly family-friendly. There's um, the new Children's Museum. Um and, um, you know, a, a bunch of the bigger ones, uh, like, I'll be able to take my kids to. And right. just because they're so much more used to having bigger audiences that are not quite as necessarily. I feel like some of these ones, that because they're, they're so much more engaged in the educational space. Right. Um, that they're thinking about that kind of stuff more. But it's really the sort of cutting edge, more contemporary um, small galleries where that is a little bit harder. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You're absolutely right. You know, there are, like, Belbo Park is very kid-friendly, and most mm-hmm. of the institutions there actively promote programs for kids and invite families. Um, yeah, I guess it is. It's the smaller galleries, and um, I guess performance is always a little challenging because you need that, like, quiet audience thing. But mm-hmm. maybe, you know, there's a program, um, arts literacy, and I can't even think of... It, it happens at the Croc in La Mesa, okay. and it happens once a month, and they bring in um, performing groups. And so they, they brought in, like, a radio drama class from SDSU who did it, and then dance performances and music, and um, the kids go there, and they get a free book, and then you watch the show, and it's, like, this amazing program that I I wish there was just more of in terms of... Yeah, engaging the smaller groups that yeah. don't have the infrastructure to be supportive for kids right now. Yeah, so. yeah. It's more of that. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, so uh, the last question I like to ask everyone, and I was particularly interested to get your take on this, um, is um, whether there's a piece of um, art, literature, or just general creativity that you've experienced recently that meant something to you. Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, I really enjoyed the last opening at Bread and Salt. Okay. And I walked into the door, and it was a solo show by Panka, who's a street artist from Tijuana and San Diego. And it was just, it's sort of this, I always think of the word grotesque, Mm. (laughs) which is like these, you know, figures that are maybe not traditionally beautiful and the art is like a little weird and um yeah the (laughs) it's it's bright though her palette is like neon pinks and oranges and just beautiful um but it makes it feels like very much it captures the my generation you know and i'm i guess i'm on the cusp of being a millennial like i'm barely a millennial (laughs) so i'm not completely a millennial, but I feel like, you know, just she captures our generation in visual art and mm. I just love it. Um, and then there were, you could walk into each room. There was an installation in one room and then a painting by, or a painting and um, mixed media exhibition by three female artists in Tijuana in another room. And, you know, an installation by Mailing Martinez in Ice Gallery. And I just, like walking around that building and seeing everything happening all at once was just like, ah, San Diego. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) It was one of those moments where I feel like we are flowing. Like this is not an, this is where, this is San Diego arts and culture at its best. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I had a good time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so if you'd like to check out Kinsey's work, there are links in the show notes to her author page at Voice of San Diego. And as I mentioned at the top, I highly recommend checking out her San Diego culture cast. And there's a link for that in the show notes as well. You can also find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And that is our show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, ask a question, leave a comment about anything you heard on the show, you can send me an email at podcast at keepthechannelopen.com. You can also follow me and the show on Twitter at ChannelOpenPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KeepTheChannelOpen. 
If you like what we're doing here, you can help support the show by signing up as a Patreon subscriber, where your monthly pledge in any amount goes a long way towards making the show possible and is greatly appreciated. You can find that at patreon.com slash sake river. That's patreon.com slash sake river. Sake like the drink and river like river. We're about halfway to our first goal, at which point I'll start holding bi-monthly giveaways, so I hope to see you there. If you can't donate now, no worries. There's uh, another great way to support the show is by leaving a review on iTunes, and there's a link in the show notes for that as well. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can find more of his music available for licensing at soundofpicture.com. Next time, our guest will be photographer Jess T. Dugan, so be sure to come back for that. Until then, remember, keep the channel open. (laughs) 